All right, good deal, good deal. Let's, uh, let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13 if you have your copies of God's Word. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts and the virtue of love today. All right. Theoretically, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 today, but I have a feeling we're not going to get through all those verses, but that will be okay. We don't want to rush. We want to take our time. We want to be very deliberate in our study of God's Word. Now, you'll recall last week when we introduced the chapter, um, 1 Corinthians 13, we said that the church at Corinth was a very charismatic church, okay? And we mean that in all the good senses. But we're going to see here that they had people in that church who were speaking in tongues. They had prophets. They had apparently miracle workers. I mean, this was an exciting church, okay? This is a church you would probably want to go visit, right? But they had one major problem, and that is they had a love deficit, okay? These were some very spiritual people, but for whatever reason, they had some issues when it came to brotherly love. We saw that this church had divisions. We saw, for instance, that even in this whole area of spiritual gifts, uh, there were people who were sort of trying to one-up each other. You know, well, I speak in tongues. Well, this other person might say, yeah, but I'm a prophet. And this other person would say, yeah, but I can really preach the gospel. And so Paul looks into this situation and he says, guys, 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 you've got it all wrong. It's great if you're spiritually gifted. I want you to be spiritually gifted. But if you, if you aren't loving one another, you're missing the whole point, okay? And that's why he puts this particular chapter, this love chapter, he puts it right in the middle of this larger discussion of spiritual gifts, because he's saying, look, I want you to be spiritually gifted. I want God to bless you with these wonderful gifts, and I want you to use them and develop them and all the rest. But you can't do so at the expense of love. Love is at the very center of the Christian life. Love is the very basis for Christian ethics and Christian practice. And so he says, look, I want you to, 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 to enjoy these spiritual gifts, and I want you to use them for the upbuilding of God's kingdom but I want you first and foremost to be people who love one another, okay? And so that's what we're going to begin looking at today. And we're going to see here in these first few verses of chapter 13 that Paul goes through this whole laundry list of spiritual gifts. And he says, if you have this, that's great, but if you don't love one another, you're in trouble. And he goes through six separate spiritual gifts and what he's trying to do here, he's saying, look, he's saying these gifts are wonderful, these gifts are amazing, but if you exercise these gifts without love, you're missing the whole point. So let's, let's give our attention to God's Word. Like I said, I don't know if we're going to get through all six of these today. We, we may and we may not. That's okay. Um, but let's, let's uh, listen here to God's Word, uh, verses 1 through 3 of 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. 
And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So right there, you can see pretty easily the point that Paul is making, right? He goes through this list of spiritual gifts. And he says, it's great if you have those gifts. In fact, if you look at chapters 12, 13, and 14, Paul commends these gifts to the Corinthians. He's not telling them to ignore these spiritual gifts. He's not telling them that they aren't important. He isn't saying anything like that. He says, I want you to have these spiritual gifts. Okay? But what I really want you to have is the spirit of love. Because it is love that, that, that provides the, the energy, if you will, for every one of these spiritual gifts. Okay? And so... He first of all talks about speaking in tongues. Then he talks about prophecy. He talks about knowledge. He then mentions faith. He then mentions in verse 3, philanthropy, giving away all you have. And then finally he mentions martyrdom. That is, even if you're willing to die for the sake of the kingdom. All right. So I want us to look at each, each one of those and uh, sort of... See if we can understand what, what Paul is getting at here. But I, I really want us to, to think about these, these individual spiritual gifts here and how, how, how they relate to this whole idea of love here. Now, he begins with speaking in tongues. He says in verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong, or a clanging cymbal. All right, now, how many tongue speakers do we have in here? Huh? Nobody? All right, yeah, okay, we got Steve Smith Monday over here. Thursdays. Mondays and Thursdays. He spe- all right, very good, very good. Nobody in here wants to admit to speaking in tongues. All right, that's fine. All right, let's talk about, let's talk about this whole business of tongue speaking for a minute. Now, if you, if you look carefully here, you can see that Paul mentions two different, uh, two different things here. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, okay? Now, this has been understood in different ways, um, but you know, of course, that my view is the correct view, right? And so I'm going to give you the correct view here. I believe that Paul is, is actually drawing a distinction here between tongues of men and tongues of angels, okay? Now, as Bible students, you know that in the early church, there were, in fact, at least two different phenomena that we regard as speaking in tongues, okay? And I believe that Paul is referring to those two different phenomena here, tongues of men Tongues of angels. All right, let's talk first of all about the tongues of men. You'll recall that on the day of Pentecost, it's recorded in Acts chapter 2, there were about 120 believers there in Jerusalem, and Luke tells us they were all meeting together in one place, and what happened? What happened? I know some of you know. All right, well, while they're meeting together, it says that the Holy Spirit fell upon them. In fact, look back at Acts chapter 2. We'll just read what, what Luke tells us. This is Luke chapter two, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 2 
in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, watch this. This is verse 5. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. All right. So you see what's going on. These believers are all together in one place. The Holy Spirit descends upon them and they start speaking in tongues. But when all these foreigners who are there in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, when they hear this, they all rush together and they say, what's going on here? And they, they hear these Galileans who had never studied any foreign languages, they all of a sudden are speaking French and English. They probably weren't speaking modern French and modern English, but you see what I'm saying. They were, they, they were speaking foreign languages. These were intelligible human languages. All of a sudden, these Galileans are, are praising God. They're, they're speaking the, the truth of God's word. They're, they're, they're proselytizing, whatever it might be. But they're doing it in these foreign languages that they've never studied before. These are human languages. These are the tongues of men, you see. These are human languages that these men had never studied before, and all of a sudden the Spirit gives them this ability to speak in French and Chinese and Japanese and Russian and whatever else it might be. Now that is a true miracle of the Spirit, right? That'd be like if you went to one of my family reunions in Walker County, Alabama. Anybody here from Walker County, Alabama? You wouldn't admit it if you were. Boy, if you went to a Vines family reunion in Walker County, you saw all these rednecks show up in their pick-em-up trucks. And, you, and all of a sudden, if they got out, and one, and one of them started speaking, you know, Portuguese. And one of them started speaking, you know, uh, French or German, you know. You would be, I would be utterly shocked because I was like, these people don't know anything but redneck, Right. <laughs> Well, that's kind of what we got here in Acts chapter 2. You've got these Galileans who had never studied these foreign languages, and all of a sudden, boom, there they are, praising God, proselytizing, and all these foreign languages, and all these people from all over the world are saying, what are these rednecks doing speaking in my language, you see? So this is what's going on. I believe when Paul says, tongues of men, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, I think he is talking about that particular phenomenon. This spiritual phenomenon wherein the Spirit enables a person, probably on a temporary basis, to miraculously speak in other languages that they've never studied before. Okay, so that, that's one phenomenon that was occurring in the, in the early church. But there was a second um, phenomenon that, that was occurring, and it was occurring, we know, here in the city of Corinth, there was another sort of manifestation of the Spirit uh, that, 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 that we call speaking in tongues that was happening here in Corinth. And that, that is simply this. There were certain believers that from time to time the Spirit would fall upon them 
and they would go into sort of this state of ecstasy, okay? And they would begin speaking totally unintelligible, we might say gibberish, okay? It's just some kind of language that was not a human language. It was not understandable by any any normal speaking person, okay? Now, there, there were people that had the gift of interpretation, Paul says. There were people that could actually, through a second gift of the Spirit, could actually listen to this gibberish and say, ah, I hear what the Spirit is saying. And so there, so there, there's a second gift of, of speaking in tongues. And I think when Paul says the tongues of angels... This is what he's talking about. He's talking about these people that would fall into these states of ecstasy and they would begin saying things and they wouldn't even know what they were saying. They wouldn't even know. The speaker wouldn't know. And it would require an interpreter, you see, to actually listen to what they were saying and then interpret it. And we know this from, if you look in 1 Corinthians 14, for instance. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, Paul is talking about speaking in tongues, and he says, and he's talking about this gift of speaking in the tongues of angels. He says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Now, you see, that's radically different from from what we saw in Acts chapter 2, right? In Acts chapter 2, when, when the Spirit fell on these early Christians, they started speaking in foreign languages, and other people could hear them and understand them, right? Well, here, he's, Paul is talking about something completely different over here in, in, in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, when you speak in a tongue, I think he's talking about these tongues of angels. He says, you're not speaking to men. You're speaking to God. So this is some type of of spirit talk, you see, some type of, of, of special endowment of the Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes upon a believer and they all of a sudden begin speaking in this language that they don't even understand, but it's a spirit language. Uh, and, and, the, and Paul, I believe, refers to it here as, 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 the, as an angelic tongue, okay? So we have tongues of men and tongues of angels. Does that make sense? Anybody have any thoughts on that? Boy, I'm really trying to open up a can of worms now, aren't I? So is that modern day gift? Well, we'll just move on from there now. Um, no, that's a, that's a very good question. And, you know, we're going to come to, when we get to verse 8, we're going to really unpack that. But let me just, let me say this uh, in light of that, because that's what everybody, that's the question everybody wants to ask. Is that still a gift? Now, let me, let me put it this way. Um, there are two main views on whether or not these charismatic gifts are still uh, in place today or whether, they've, whether they are not in place today. Probably 80 to 90% of the PCA pastors and Bible teachers out there would fall in the group that are called cessationists. And that is to say they believe that the, all of the charismatic gifts of the Spirit have stopped. They have ceased. And they argue that when the ink dried on the very last verse of the New Testament, when the ink dried, at that moment in time, all the charismatic gifts of the Spirit stopped. And we had a completed New Testament 
We already had a completed Old Testament. So at that point, the spiritual gifts ceased. All right. I would, I would guess that 80 to 90% of PCA pastors and Bible teachers hold that view. All right. I do not hold that view. Okay. I'm not a cessationist because I don't believe it can be argued from the text of the Bible that the Bible actually teaches that. Okay. Um, so I, I do not believe you can make a, a cogent, persuasive argument from Scripture that all of the spiritual gifts, the charismatic gifts, have died away. Okay. Now, how, why do they argue that? Well, they do so. Cessationists argue, make that argument on the basis of 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Okay. Well, it's, now that you've opened up this can of worms, we're going we're gonna to look at this for a minute. Um, in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, Paul says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. You see that? As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. All right, so the cessationist looks at that and says, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, the question is, what is the perfect? In Greek, the Greek word is teleon, okay? And that word can mean all sorts of things, all right? Um, but the cessationist argues that the, that, that the perfect came when the ink dried on the last verse of, the, of, of Revelation chapter 22. And I always get a kick out of this thinking, well, what if you were in Corinth and John was just wrapping up Revelation 22? He's coming to the last verse and you're having this wonderful ecstatic experience and you're speaking in tongues and all of a sudden, boop, it just like stopped, you know. What happened? I, I was speaking in tongues a second ago, now I can't. Oh, John must have just finished the book of Revelation. I don't need to speak in tongues anymore. It's kind of absurd. But... Um, but my argument is the perfect, when, when Paul says, but when the perfect comes, he's talking about the end of the age. That's the end of the age, you see. Uh, not, that's not when the New Testament is finished. That's, and there are reasons that, that, that I make that very correct argument, you see. And, and we'll get to that. So my view, uh, and I don't know if I want to bring Dr. Smith into this whole discussion, because he, he might just... I said over here, so you wouldn't call me. He might totally disagree with me. If, if you, do you not disagree? Good, then speak up. <laughs> speak up. What is your... What, is, that, is that basically your view? Very similar, yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah, good. You have a correct view then. You're right here with me. So that, you know, but look, it, and um, I will tell you, I'm just going to sort of throw this out there. At least one of our pastors on staff also has the correct view, which is my view. At least, I'm going to let you try to figure out which one it is. But I've had, see, I have these discussions, you see. Uh, I'm sort of a Bible nerd, and I, I have these kind of discussions with people. Huh? Well, I actually, I'm not, I'm not even going to go there. I'm not even going to say. I, I, was, I was about to respond. I was like, wait a minute. I just said I wasn't going to say. I'm not going to out these guys. All right. So, but that's, but that, that's my view is that, I, look, you know, and people, people say, well, he's Pentecostals down here. 
Why? You know, they, they might be faking it. They might be faking it when they speak in tongues. Well, they might be. They might be. Look, you can fake any one of these spiritual gifts. The gift of preaching. Listen, there are men standing in PCA pulpits right now that have never been called to preach and have no business preaching God's word. And they're doing it. They're faking it. There are people teaching Sunday school right now in the PCA and every other denomination that have no business opening up God's word and teaching anybody anything. They're faking it. You can fake any one of these spiritual gifts. Okay? And so the fact that, yeah, there may be Pentecostals out there and others who say they have the gift of speaking in tongues. Well, maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I don't know. It's not for me to judge whether or not it's legit or not. I've never spoken in tongues personally, but, I, but neither am I going to go up to one of you and say, your gift, you're a fraud. That is not, you know, of the spirit or whatever. Maybe it is. And so I just don't ever want to put a box around it and say, God, you are not allowed to give a special endowment of the spirit to this individual to enable him to speak in tongues. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. And he commends that to us, you see, as a spiritual gift. He, he wants us to, but he doesn't want us to do it without love. And that's the key thing here, you see. He says, he says look, speaking in tongues is a wonderful spiritual gift. He says, but if you do that, if you, if you engage in the practice of speaking in tongues, but, but you do so to sort of glorify yourself and to make yourself look all wonderful and holy and spiritual, and you're doing so without love in your heart, he says, you're, he says, you're just making noise. Have any of y'all ever heard, like, um, seen, like, somebody with a drum set, see a drummer with a drum set, and, and have you ever heard what it sounds like when a cymbal falls over, like, on a concrete floor? That is the worst racket known to humanity. I mean, it, it, it's worse than fingers on a chalkboard, right? It is just so loud and obnoxious. And Paul says, when you're, if you're speaking in tongues and you don't have love in your heart, you, you're just as obnoxious sounding as that symbol that falls on a concrete floor. Okay? So, someone who has the gift of tongues, listen, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful with any one of these gifts. If God has specially endowed you with any spiritual gift, you have to, you have to cert, first of all, be certain that you, re, you actually have that gift. And that others confirm that to you, but you have to make sure that you're using them properly um, so that we don't fall under the judgment of God. So we're going to come back to tongue speaking when we get like down here to verse 8 and 9 and 10. Um, but that's, um, anybody else have any thoughts on tongues before we move on to prophecy? All right. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. I, I think, um, I think on the new earth, in the, in the, 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 the new age, we're not going to need to speak in tongues. We're not going to need prophecy. I mean, he, he ends this chapter by saying, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Now, why does he say that? 
we're not even going to need faith on the new earth because our faith will have become sight. We're not going to need hope anymore because our hopes will have been fulfilled, you see. But we will always love. Love is, is the one eternal spiritual virtue, you see. And so that's why he's highlighting this so much. He's saying, yeah, it's great to be a teacher, a preacher, a prophet, tongue-speaking, miracle, whatever. He said, but, but, but those things are partial. Those things, those things are, are, you know, witness, um, witness to the eternal, but love is eternal. When we're on the new earth, we're going to be in a perfect love relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We will be in a perfect love relationship with one another. And so, and so love is the one eternal virtue, you see. And so, yes, I think, I think, when he, I think the, the partial, he's referring to all these, all these uh, spiritual gifts. Yeah. All right, we got about 10 minutes. Let's talk about prophecy. We got, I know we don't have any tongue speaker. How many, I know we got some prophets in here. John Polis, I know he's a prophet. I know he's a prophet. No prophets? Man, y'all aren't very spiritual. Come on now. All right, look, let's look at what he says here about prophecy. He says, verse 2, And if I have prophetic powers, and then he goes on to talk about understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. All right, let's talk for a moment about prophecy. Um, Again, back in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, this particular gift is also mentioned. Um, when Peter begins preaching, you know, all these guys start speaking in tongues, and that gathers a big crowd. You know, it's amazing how speaking in tongues will gather a crowd. But this big crowd gathers, and Peter uses this opportunity to, to preach this great Pentecost sermon. And what he does at the very outset here, he, he starts quoting the prophet Joel, Joel chapter 2. And this is what, this is what um, the prophecy of Joel says. Peter says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Uh-oh, so the girls get to prophesy too. Wait a minute. That doesn't, um, don't let me, I won't go there. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Now, now when we think about prophecy, if you're like a lot of people, you might just sort of, uh, see somebody sitting there like with a crystal ball, you know, and, and, and they sort of, you know, they look into the crystal ball and they, they like start seeing into the future and, and all this kind of stuff. That's sort of a caricature, I think, of what biblical prophecy is. Now, we certainly do have examples of biblical prophets who, who saw the future and announced the future before it came to be, okay? There is a lot of foretelling in the prophetic literature. But in the main, in the main, biblical prophecy is not so much 
foretelling as it is forth-telling, okay? It is more forth-telling and less foretelling, okay? And um, we see this particularly when Paul talks about prophecy here in 1 Corinthians uh, 14 again. If you go to 1 Corinthians 14, this is, this is such an important verse to understand what Paul is talking about when he talks about <laughs> prophecy. He's in, first, in the first few verses of, of 1 Corinthians 14, he's contrasting speaking in tongues and prophecy. And, and, and we'll back up to verse 2. He says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters, utters mysteries in, in the Spirit. We saw that a minute ago. Verse 3, On the other hand, watch this, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Did you hear that? Biblical prophecy, according to Paul, occurs when one person speaks to another person for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Now, this is another reason why I'm not a cessationist. Because as far as I'm concerned, I don't want the church to lose upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. To me, those things are pretty important. To me, those things are actually part and parcel of what it means to do pastoral care, what it means to do sort of one-on-one -on -one, uh, 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 brotherly love. But notice, that's what Paul says. One who prophesies speaks to other people for their upbuilding, their encouragement, and their consolation. It's not, this, this business of prophecy is not ultimately, or not fundamentally, seeing out into the future and predicting the future and all that kind of business. It really has more to do with encouraging one another, consoling one another, upbuilding one another, you see? And I don't want the church ever to lose that, right? That is an extremely valuable uh, gift that God gives to some people. Now, listen, some people are more gifted at that than others, obviously. Some people are specially endowed by the Spirit to be encouragers, to be consolers. Um, some people, <laughs> I've, had, I've had the unfortunate occasion, and I'm sure some of you have as well, where you know, maybe I need to hear an encouraging word and the wrong person shows up, right? Have you ever had the experience when someone comes up to you and they're trying so hard to encourage you or to console you or to upbuild you and you walk away and think, man, I feel like I've been kicked in the shins now. This is the last person I needed to talk to, right? Listen, if you don't have the spiritual gift of encouraging and consoling and upbuilding, uh, you might not be a prophet, okay? So, but some people do. There are, there are people who just have this uncanny ability, right? To just say just the right word at just the right time, to upbuild you when you need to be built up, to encourage you when you need to be encouraged. And I think fundamentally, that's what Paul is talking about when he's talking about biblical prophecy, He's talking about those who can come alongside of us and encourage us, console us, and build us up. 
And so, and so he says, listen, he says, God gives certain people uh, that, that spiritual gift. But again, we have to understand that if we have that gift, we must exercise it in the right spirit. We must exercise that gift like all these other gifts with a spirit of love, with a spirit of genuine concern, with, 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 a, with a spirit of, of, of brotherly affection, you know. It is possible to exercise any one of these gifts with the wrong spirit, you know. Um, we'll talk very briefly here about, about knowledge because that's, that's the next one that he, in the list here. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. I mean, the seminaries are full of professors and students that have just got their mind filled with so much knowledge and they're uncovering all the wonderful mysteries and, and, and so forth. And yet some of these people have not one ounce of love in their heart. And that's a sad thing, but it's, but it's very true. Now, does this mean we are, that knowledge isn't important? No. You've heard me up here ranting and raving many times about how important it is to grow in our knowledge of God. Yeah, ranting and raving. Hammett's over there doing his head like this, right? But think of it. I mean, it is, it is so important that we study God's word. It is important that we try to grow in our knowledge. It is important that we, that we apply ourselves in that area. It is so critically important. I've said before that the two most important spiritual disciplines out there are Bible study and prayer. Every single day you need to be in God's word, growing your knowledge, and every single day you need to be on your knees in prayer to God, okay? And if you're not doing so, it's your, your priorities have gotten out of whack, okay? But we are to grow in our knowledge of God's word. Paul and, and the other biblical writers repeatedly tell us how important knowledge is. The prophet Hosea said that my people die for lack of knowledge. Okay, so nothing Paul is saying here denigrates knowledge or prophecy or any of these things. But what he's trying to do is saying, listen, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you're not a person of love, it's just you're just wasting your time. In fact, he says, if, if I have all this knowledge and yet I'm not loving my brothers and sisters, he says, I am nothing. I am no thing. Zero, zilch, nada, right? And so these things are, are so, so important. All right, I don't want to jump off into faith that can move mountains just yet. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to stop there. And uh, next week we're going to look at faith. We're going to look at philanthropy, giving away all you have. I know that that's all of your spiritual gift. And then we're going to look at this issue of martyrdom. Um, any comments, questions? We still got like one minute. Any thoughts? Are all you going to go home and work on your tongue speaking, your prophecy, and, and, and all of that? Okay, good. That's what next week, Hammett, we're going to turn it over to you and see. We're going to see if we have any prophetic insight. Keep it simple, just prayer. Okay, all right, all right. Good deal. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this opportunity we've had to study your word. And um, some of these uh, issues are, are very difficult and weighty. And I just pray that you would uh, apply your truth to our hearts and enable us to come to know you better. Through Christ we pray. Amen.